Good morning, everybody. It's an honor to be here with you this morning. It's always an honor to get to preach. And we're continuing in our R&R series. That's our summer sermon series. And normally, R&R stands for rest and relaxation, um, but it doesn't for this sermon series. Although, ironically, today it halfway does. The, the first R for all of these sermons, uh, every sermon this summer is remain. And that's an important concept because the only way that we can do anything of any lasting significance is if we remain in Christ. In John fifteen five, Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So that, that first R, remain, is significant. And today, the second R stands for rest. And if we ponder rest uh, as it relates to scripture for very long at all, it usually raises all kinds of questions like, uh, what is rest? What does it mean to rest? Is it a sin not to rest? Does rest have anything to do with Sabbath? Do Christians still have to observe the Sabbath? And I hope that I can help you uh, find some answers to these questions, but I want you to know that I'm still learning myself. This week, I've literally been waking up at like 5 a.m. every morning to write a sermon about rest. And then every night after Brandy and I get Lucy to sleep, I'm tired and cranky. So it's been a weird paradox this week to, to be feeling like I'm learning so much about rest, but also to feel like I'm like reality is butting up against it. So, um, I'm asking God to teach me, even as I'm asking him to teach you. And I had intended this morning to tackle both the concept of rest and the concept of Sabbath, but it's just too much. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on rest today. And in about a month, I'm preaching again, and that will be on Sabbath. And I have even figured out a way to make that an R word so that I'm not cheating. So that's the plan. But this morning, here's our roadmap. We're going to look at our text, which is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And if you have a bulletin, um, it's in there. I meant to bring one up because I like to hold it up like you don't know what I'm talking about anyway. Um, so we're going to look at our text and then we're going to talk about rest. And then I'm going to give you a very practical rest challenge. So let's, let's read our text now. This is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, we thank you so much for the invitation to rest, and we pray that you would guide us in our understanding of what rest is, what it means to come to Jesus, and how we can accept this gift. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we read words like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I imagine many of us here this morning think, yeah, that's me. Um, especially if you volunteered at VBS this past week, you're like, yep, that's me, weary and burdened. Um, 
But I know that it's summer and that we're coming up on a holiday and people are going on vacation, but there's still weariness and burden that's deep in our souls. And it's more than a day of cookouts and fireworks can really remedy. And if you're anything like me, when I'm weary and burdened, uh, you might be thinking, don't talk to me about rest. Because if I rest, everything will fall apart. Because no one else can do what I do. And so much depends on what I do. I felt like this the most when I was in seminary. Um, Like Hardy, I got a degree called a Master of Divinity. Which if you don't know what that is, sounds like I went to Hogwarts. But um, (laughs) a Master of Divinity is basically a degree that you pursue if you're wanting to go into ministry. And so you study the Bible and theology and Greek and Hebrew and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I thought that seminary was going to be this big, long spiritual high, like that kind of high you have when you've just gotten back from church camp. You know, I thought I would just have that for like three solid years. Um, but it ended up being one of the hardest times of my life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Uh, so Brandy and I, it's funny tomorrow's the first, I think, I think Brandy and I moved on July 1st, eight years ago. We left our home in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, like the cultural metropolis of Nashville, Tennessee to move to Oviedo, Florida. And it's gotten better in the past eight years. But when we moved there, we just called Chili's the restaurant because that's because that's what there was. Um, But we knew no one and we were both in school full time. And so we were constantly stressed about money. And there was always tons of reading and writing and research and papers to write and things like that. And on top of that, I was trying to find the balance of being a Christian and being a student and being a husband and having a social life. And I was also trying to figure out who I was and what God was calling me to do. And I wasn't balancing those things well at all. And during that time, when I was probably the most weary and burdened that I've ever been, I felt defensive and irritated when people would start talking about how Christians need to rest and Christians need to keep the Sabbath and things like that. And I remember one Monday, one Monday morning, I went to class and the professor greeted us and he said, good morning. I trust that each of you feels refreshed after a restful Sabbath, spending time with your family and with the Lord. I was so angry. What I thought, I didn't say this, I just kind of kept my head down, but what I thought was, well, I would have liked to do those things, but I was reading a big, boring book and writing a paper that you assigned. So I didn't do that. So the idea of rest and Sabbath felt like chains to me. They felt like cruel commands that I didn't know how to keep. And so they became a source of shame for me. And I felt like God was constantly mad at me because I was constantly failing him. And I think deep down, I felt mad at God because I thought you've given me more to do than I can possibly get done. And then on top of that, if you throw Sabbath in there, you're asking me to take one less day to get this stuff done. Something changed in me along the way. And I was planning on telling that story today, but I'll have to give you the cliffhanger and you'll come back on the 28th and I'll tell you what changed for me. But this is what I want you to hear. If you feel weary and burdened and maybe even a little angsty and irritated 
as I talk about rest, you're in good company. But the open invitation to all of us is come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. And we don't have an exact English word for the Greek word that's translated weary. You might know a different version that says, all you who labor. Um, The Greek word literally means to beat out. So we use the expression, I'm beat. It's something close to that, but it's more like wearied or even tortured. So the point is Jesus isn't simply talking about people who work jobs, like all who labor and are part of the workforce. He's talking about people who are beaten down with their labor. And he says, all you who are, sorry, I grew up in the church of Christ and we said all ye who are, you know, so I keep like mixing up ye and you and it's just coming out like ye. So all, all you who are weary and burdened. And uh, so burdened is the next part. And one of the Greek lexicons I was using said the word burdened refers to the burdensome requirements of the Mosaic law and of tradition. And we'll talk about why that is in a moment. But here's the point. Jesus is calling people who are exhausted physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. They are quite literally beat. So Jesus comes to set all who are weary and burdened free to give them rest. And how Jesus says, come. It's just like the first song we sing this morning, Come As You Are, which I kept teasing Jack that he was opening with a Nirvana song. But uh, come. And to come to Jesus simply means to believe in him. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And the Jews started grumbling about what he meant. And to make it more explicit in verse 47, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And that was always the gospel that Jesus preached. Repent and believe. It wasn't a long list of rules. It was repent and believe. So to come means believe. And that's eternal life. In verse 29, Jesus goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And take my yoke upon you is an odd expression for us today, isn't it? Uh, When's the last time you did anything with a yoke at all? Anybody this week? What'd you say? Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) we have one person who's dealt with a yoke. Uh, Yeah, so when I was a kid, I thought, I thought, So kids, you're not a no kids. I might be boring you, but here's a valuable lesson. When I was a kid, I thought this was saying, take my yolk, like egg yolk. And I literally pictured Jesus with egg running down his head. I'm not kidding. So it's not yolk with an L, it's yolk, yolk. So a yolk is a wooden frame that's fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to a plow or cart that they're pulling. And usually you use a yoke with two oxen. So you've got a picture there. So there's two oxen and that wooden thing that's going over their necks. That's the yoke. Um, And so I don't just have lots of files with pictures of yokes on my computer. So I I had to Google, you know, for for a picture 
of a yoke. And when you Google, often it tells you like other things similar to your search. And I saw something that said Jesus yoke. And I was like, well, I got to click on that, right? So, um, so here's that weird image. So we have an, an actual photo of a wooden yoke and then a kind of washed out black and white photo of trees for some reason. And then like a color pencil drawing of Jesus laughing in the bottom right hand corner. (laughs) Apparently that's a Jesus yoke. You're welcome. (laughs) But okay, so let's just acknowledge it's weird for us, but I think it was weird for them back then too, for him to follow what he just said with take my yoke upon you. Because uh, he, he just says, I will give you rest. And then the very next thing he says to do is take a yoke. And a yoke means work and burden. It's like literally the opposite of rest. So the question is, what does it mean to take Jesus' yoke, right? It's more than likely that Jesus was using yoke figuratively because it was a common expression among Jews in the day. So yoke would have meant something like uh, the sum of my oral teaching. In Jewish literature, a uh, yoke represents the... There's Jesus' yoke again. In Jewish literature, a yoke represents the full load of obligations a person must take upon himself in order to follow the teachings of a rabbi. Do you follow that? So a rabbi was a teacher, a Jewish teacher who taught the Torah, which was the law. It was the word of God. It's what we think of as the Old Testament. And the rabbis would basically tell their disciples, here's what it means to follow the Torah. And the sum of everything they said, that's their yoke. But by Jesus' day, it had gotten very legalistic. And the yoke of these rabbis consisted of rules upon rules upon rules. And a lot of it wasn't even in the Torah. Later in Matthew, listen to what Jesus says about these rabbis and these teachers of the law. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. I think this is what he's referring to. Jesus calls those who are weary from these burdens, take my yoke upon you because unlike theirs, my yoke is easy. And that word that we translate easy also means good or kind. In fact, this is the only place in all of scripture that it's translated easy. It's usually translated as good. But like any good rabbi, Jesus teaches his disciples the way to keep the Torah. And that's why he says in verse 29, learn from me. You take my yoke and you learn from me, just like other disciples learn from their rabbi. But what Jesus teaches is far different than a heavy yoke of rules to keep. In John 6, Jesus is speaking to a crowd and they ask Jesus, after hearing his, his message, his good news, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What do we do? What burden do we carry? What work do we do? And you, you know what Jesus says? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's it. That is the work of God. Just believe. And that's huge. That is good news. That's why Jesus' yoke is good. But, oh man, it's so frustrating when you're looking for something to do, when you're looking for a box to check or a rule to keep. It's frustrating when rest isn't what you're looking for because 
we often think the only way to combat our stress and our problems is to just keep grinding. Even when we're exhausted, just keep going and try harder. But that's usually when we make the biggest mistakes. I want to ask you this morning to think, like I'm honestly asking you just to think for a moment, what's your biggest problem? What's your biggest burden that you feel this morning? What's your biggest problem? All human beings fundamentally have a huge problem, and that is that we're broken, we're flawed, and we're sinners. And the wages of our sin, the consequence, is death. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're aware of it or not, deep down, all of our deepest longing is to be with our good God who created us. That's our deepest longing. But because of our sin, we're dead in our sins and we're separated from God. That's your biggest problem. No matter how things are with your finances, with your marriage, with your grades, even if you're heartbroken, even if you're grieving, the fact that we are dead in our sins and separated from God, that is your biggest problem. Just before Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he prayed a prayer for his disciples and for all who will ever believe in him. And listen to what Jesus said. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus' work was accomplished. A short time later, Jesus was hanging on a cross, dying for our sins. And hear what John 19 says. Knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, what? It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' work was accomplished And it is finished forever. It is finished. And what that means is Jesus paid the debt for our sins. And we are no longer separated from God. Your biggest problem is no longer a problem at all because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. And he has the power over all things, including death. That's good news. That is what's good and kind and easy about the yoke of Jesus. And I know you have real, tangible problems this morning. And I know that just rehearsing some scripture doesn't make those problems go away. It doesn't mean all of a sudden that we don't have to take care of the kids or do our work or pay the bills. But if we remember that our biggest problem is already dealt with, all the other things don't feel so heavy. And if we take Jesus' yoke upon us, 
It means we pair ourselves with him. You remember the picture of the two oxen? To take our yoke means Jesus is on the other side of it. Being yoked with Jesus means he helps you carry the load. So we're almost done talking about the passage, but I want you to know there are two big takeaways that I want you to get from this passage. First, Jesus' yoke is good because his work is finished. Jesus' yoke is good, it's kind, it's easy, and it's because his work is finished. So don't live like it isn't. Don't live like Jesus' work isn't finished. Don't live like it all depends on you. Jesus' burden is light because God put all things under his feet. The second thing I want you to take is rest isn't something that you do. It's a gift you receive. Listen to Jesus' invitation again. Come to me and I will give you rest. It's not a command to do something. It's an invitation to receive something. It's a gift that we get that we didn't do anything to earn. When I was in fourth grade, are there any fourth graders in here? Nobody? Fourth grader. There we go. When I, there's another one. Okay, we got some fourth graders. You can wake back up now. I'm going to tell a stupid story. All right. So when I was in fourth grade, I played baseball and I was not good at baseball. Um, I... I was pretty good like in the backyard with my dad, but I'm not very competitive. So when it came game time, I just kind of froze and I was just like, oh, please walk me or hit me. You can hit me. That's fine. I just, I, I didn't want to swing. I didn't want to run. I was just scared. So I didn't actually enjoy baseball all that much, but also in fourth grade, I started getting in trouble in school a lot and I started making bad grades. In fact, I was flunking math. And my mom told me that if I didn't bring my grades up, she was going to pull me out of baseball. <laughs> and, and my parents didn't know that I didn't actually enjoy playing baseball at all. It was actually terrifying to me. And so that wasn't a very good motivator for me. So I didn't bring my grades up. But one day I came home from school and I was walking to my bedroom and my mom followed behind me. And when I got to my bedroom... That morning when I'd left, there was an ugly, like, grainy kind of looking comforter on my bed. But that afternoon when I came home, there was this bold, vibrant, outfield green comforter that had baseball players striking all kinds of cool poses, and it had all of the major league teams on it. I was stoked. Like, I didn't like playing baseball, but I loved baseball cards and stuff like that. So I was, like, super excited about this comforter, and I said... Mom, what did I do to deserve this? And she said, well, it wasn't good grades. (laughs) That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Because my mom didn't give me a comforter because I had done something to earn it. She gave me a comforter because I was her boy and she loved me. And she just wanted to see the smile on my face that moment when I first walk in and see that comforter. That's what the gift of rest is to us. We don't get to rest because we've finished all our work. We don't get to rest because we've kept all the laws perfectly. We get to rest because we have a good father who loves us. 
and he just gives us this gift of rest. And let's be honest, is there anything cuter than seeing your kids sleep? It's the cutest. In fact, um, when you're married to the graphic designer, you have a lot of say-so and like the bulletin and things like that. There's a hidden Easter egg of baby Lucy sleeping on the front of your bulletin. Anyway, there's no like point I'm making. I'm just saying our baby's cute. Um, so, so my prayer is God, teach us how to receive your rest and remain in it. So while you got your bulletin, just look at the front of it. So it's a, it's a hammock on the beach, right? I know you're distracted by baby Lucy, but try to look at the hammock. So there's a hammock on the beach. And I mean, I know not everybody likes the beach, but doesn't that kind of look inviting? A hammock on the beach next to the water. But do you notice that it's empty? There's no one in it. It's there waiting, but no one's lying on it. We Americans, we don't really do rest, do we? Um, I don't think it's purely an American phenomenon, but I think it's especially prominent in America. I remember uh, listening to NPR a few years ago, and there was some Australian guy on there talking about how in Australia it's just like normal that you get six weeks of vacation and how in, in America you get like two or three if you're lucky. And he said, Australians work so that they can go on vacation and Americans go on vacation so that they can recharge and get back to work. Um, so it's not really seen as a virtue in our culture. And I want you to imagine uh, that you go to a job interview and the person that you're interviewing with says, yeah, tell me some of your strengths. And you say, rest. I'm, I'm really strong at rest. You're probably not going to get that job, are you? Because if I say I'm really good at rest, that sounds like I'm lazy and I just take lots of naps, doesn't it? But I don't just mean sleep when I'm talking about rest. I'm talking about the deep soul rest that the Lord invites us to. And most of the people that I know who have a good grasp on this are older, and most of them arrived at it because they came to a point in their life that they were burnt out. And they just thought, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to do this. I lost my dad to cancer uh, almost six years ago. And during the last year of his life, when I was in seminary, actually, we talked a lot. And I would always talk about how stressed I was. And he just kept saying, you've got to try not to stress so much. He, I can't tell you how many times in the last year of his life he said, stress will kill you. And I know that what he was really saying is stress killed me, so don't do what I did. Jesus said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And research on the effects of cortisol, cortisol is, it's often called the stress hormone. Our, our body makes cortisol when we're feeling stressed or anxious, like our fight or flight response, that's fueled by cortisol. And cortisol is not an entirely bad thing. We need it to do things. We need it to regulate our metabolism and blood sugar and things like that. But when we have too much cortisol, there's overwhelming research that says it leads to all kinds of horrible things. 
heart disease, obesity, cancer. We all kind of like inherently know that stress isn't good for us, but there is research that says it will quite literally kill you. And it's not just unwise. I think it's sinful because when we don't make time for the things that bring us rest, we become irritable and bitter and depressed. And then we reach a breaking point and we end up binging or doing something stupid that we regret. Um, Anybody ever get stressed out and you just can't take it anymore and you find yourself at the end of the night just eating way more ice cream than you possibly should? Or staying up way later than you should watching endless episodes of The Office on Netflix? And do you ever feel good about yourself afterward? Like, do you ever, like, finish off a gallon of Rocky Road and think, glad I did that? It's, it's never like that. And, uh, and what's it like being around someone who's stressed and tired all the time? You could ask Brandy this week what that was like for her. Um, it's like you're walking on eggshells constantly. And there's no way to thrive and exude the joy and hope that we're supposed to have as followers of Christ if we're burnt out and exhausted. As a counselor, I see lots of people who struggle with pornography. And when I first start working with someone on fighting this addiction, one of the first things that I ask them is, when you start feeling tempted to look at something you shouldn't look at, what are you feeling? Like emotionally, what are you feeling? And you know the two most common answers I get are they feel stressed or they feel tired. If you were here when I preached on risk a few weeks ago, uh, you may remember that I emphasized the abundant life because Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And if we don't regularly enter Christ's rest, we won't live the abundant life that he offers. And like my sermon on rest, I'm going to give you a challenge this morning. And I hope that you'll take it seriously. I hope you'll take it on. We're going to call this the rest challenge which sounds like an oxymoron. But when you think about it, like my burden is light, my yoke is easy. It's all kind of oxymorons this morning. So uh, there are two steps to my rest challenge to you today. Um, and, And so this is the time that you want to start taking notes, whether it's on your bulletin or on your phone, if you want to take a picture of the screen. By the way, Chris is our... Sound guy, AV guy, slide guy. He does so much. I got him slides this morning at like 6.30, and here they are. I wasn't even expecting them to be here. But if anything looks or sounds good ever here, it's because of Chris and his team. So let's just give him a hand. Um, Okay, so step one of the rest challenge is determine what gives you rest. And in order to determine how you need to rest, you'll have to ask yourself three questions. And I'm going to ask you the questions, but you'll probably need to actually think about it and answer it when you have more time to process it. But before I ask the questions, I want to specify that when I say rest, I don't mean sleep primarily. I'm talking about the kind of rest for your soul that Jesus says we'll find when we take his yoke. Uh, I'd be a hypocrite if I preached about sleep this morning, so... We're skipping that one. Uh, 
there are three types of rest that we all need to have. We need to have rest that's life-giving. We need to have rest that's fun. And we need to have rest that's restful. I couldn't think of a better way to say that. So the first question is, what is life-giving to you? What is life-giving to you? And this could be like coffee and a good conversation. Uh, It could be reading a book about the wonder of the Trinity. It could be playing three-on-three basketball with someone that you love. It could be volunteering at uh, Orlando Children's Church on a Saturday morning. But I want you to ask, what gives you life? What is meaningful to you? What will you spend your time? And it won't be like you just binged eight hours on Netflix, but you'll be like, I am glad that I did that. That was important and meaningful. The second question is, what's fun to you? And this could be watching a movie or playing a video game. It could be reading a book that is of little consequence. Like, I feel like I'm always supposed to be reading some, like, deep theology, so I almost, like, feel guilty if I ever just want to read a novel for no good reason. Like, but you need to do stuff like that. Um, And you'll notice there might be some overlap between your first answer and your second answer, and that's okay. The third question is, what's restful to you? And this could actually be taking a nap, uh, but it could also be sitting on your back porch and listening to music, or taking a bubble bath, or uh, going for a walk at night. It might be lying in a hammock on the beach. I know there's one that's empty somewhere. So I hope you'll notice uh, these forms of rest aren't necessarily inactivity. Some of them might even leave you feeling tired. Like if what gives you life is going hiking, that's okay. Um, it's not all about inactivity. The point is that these things give rest to your soul. So that's step one of Mark's rest challenge. Determine what gives you rest. Step two is rest. And given the answers to the three questions about rest, you know the sorts of things, or you will know when you answer them, the sorts of things that you need to do in order to receive the gift of rest. And now I ask you to risk and do it. So I preach again on July 28th, and I will be preaching on the Sabbath. So my very specific challenge to you is between now and the next time that I preach, will you check all three of these boxes once a week? Every week, do something that's restful, something that's fun, and something that's life-giving. So do it for a month. And you may feel like you don't have time. And the reality is it takes a lot of planning in order to rest. And it often requires sacrifice. Uh, Most of us imagine that we'll do the things that we want to do in our free time when we get everything done. But does anyone here ever feel like they have everything done? And if we ever actually get everything done, we're usually so exhausted by then that we just end up with the rocky road on the couch, right? So uh, our calendars are meant to serve us, but most of us serve our calendars. And so what I'm asking you to do is try writing rest into your calendar, into your week, and treating it with the same level of importance that you would treat like a doctor's appointment, something that if somebody said, you know, let's get breakfast, you'd say, no, I can't. I have a doctor's appointment that morning. And I realize that for those of you with families, this is incredibly complicated because it'll require conversation and planning and compromise. And if you're married, you got to help each other out. You got to do things like, I'll stay with the kids while you get coffee. I'll uh, pick up little Timmy from practice so that you can go get a pedicure. Um, 
And in counseling, when I do couples counseling, often what I find is not two people that don't like each other. I find two people that are just exhausted. They're weary and they're burdened and they have very few margins in their life to do anything that gives them rest. And what I want to tell you is none of us have to do this alone. We need each other to keep all the parts of the gospel. We need to come into this room and sing not just to God, but sing to one another and remind ourselves he's never going to let us down. He's never going to let us down. Maybe the best thing you could do for your marriage is actually text counseling and go see Hardy. Maybe you need someone to help you figure out how can we find some margin in our life? How can we make room for rest in our family? And my final word on the rest challenge is this. There's a way that you can do these things and it'll be meaningless. If you uh, write down things that sound fun to you or whatever, and you just do them as a means to kind of like check out and disengage and try to like forget all your stressors, um, it won't be of any benefit to you or those around you. So pray that when you pursue rest, that you literally see it as coming to Christ Jesus, your Lord, laying your burdens at his feet. Or as Peter says, casting all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. It may not feel like a holy endeavor to take a bubble bath or read a spy novel, um, but Paul tells us whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Rest is a gift from a loving father, and it costs us more than we can fathom. But Jesus is giving it freely if only we believe. So come to Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We forget who we are. We forget all that you offer. We forget that your work is finished and we forget everything that that means for us. And as often as I come to you, I walk away and you are still good and you are still loving and you are still forgiving. Lord, this morning, would you call all of us back to yourself? Would you call the lost? Would you call the weary and the burdened to yourself? And would you give us rest? We ask this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.